right, folks, go be great. Episode 16 brought to you by the good folks at Hardo Sports. And the Yankees win. And they're moving on to the American League Championship Series with Houston. Uh, this is being recorded on Tuesday night, October 18th, a couple hours after the Yankees beat the Guardians by a score of 5-1 to one in Game 5 of the ALDS here in the Bronx. Um, it was obviously scheduled for Monday night, and unfortunately the weather did not cooperate here in New York. And um, they did open the gates on Monday night and announced that Monday night's game would be starting in a delay and didn't give anybody an update until about 9.45 p.m. Um, to unfortunately cancel the game. So a bit of a bad move in terms of public relations and just, you know, fan safety. You know, you probably don't want to have fans in there for four, three and a half hours, whatever it was, um, when there is, I don't want to say no intention of playing the game because I don't think that was the case, but they did not end up playing the game. So all of that money spent for people to get to the game on Monday night for nothing, but a lot of them went back. Some people sold their tickets for Tuesday's afternoon game and uh, the fans seemingly from TV and, and the radio uh, were awesome on Tuesday. So I'm excited by that. Um, but obviously there's not much to really say about what happened with Cleveland. Um, and to like, look, you know, looking back at that series, first of all, episode 15 has a look back at the first four games of the series because I recorded on Sunday and I told you guys, I'd probably be back to talk a little bit, uh, after the ALDS and hopefully looking forward to the ALCS. And here we are Houston. Tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m., you got Jamison Tyone for the New York Yankees. You have Justin Verlander, who will most likely be the AL Cy Young this year, unless it's Shane McClanahan, um, for the Houston Astros in game one. Now, this is the third time that the Yankees have faced Houston in the last six years. 2017, the first time that the Yankees and the Astros matched up in the ALCS. That series went to seven games, and the Yankees lost. Um, in 2019, same thing. Uh, the Yankees match up with Houston. Houston has the home field advantage, and the Yankees lose uh, in six games that time. Now, the silver lining here is that the Yankees um, – it's a lot different of a team from, from the first time at the very least in 2017, but even in 2019, just kind of looking back at some of the starters who, who pitched for us in those games. I mean, you know, if you look back just to 2019, the only pitcher that we have left from that starting crew is Luis Severino. And actually in 2019, uh, I don't even think he was healthy for the playoffs. So Luis Severino did start back in 2017. I was, actually looking on Twitter before to see if they had announced him as the game two starter um, for this series. Um, and it was a tweet from 2017 saying that he would be the, the game two starter um, in the ALCS that year. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, 
I'm, I'm anticipating that he will be the starter in game two. Uh, he pitched on Saturday in Cleveland for game three, um, which would put him at regular rest for Thursday. So that would be perfect. Um, one thing that I do want to kind of just look back at, I guess, is the, uh, the pitching strategy for the Cleveland Guardians and then um, just – talk about Josh Naylor real quick and maybe not necessarily about him, but something that I think it could help the Yankees going forward, like kind of as a moment in their season. So um, I'm surprised that the, the, that the guardians started Aaron Savali, especially after, you know, if the game was going to be played on Monday night, Nestor Cortez wasn't in play for the Yankees. Cause that would have been on two days short rest, which just doesn't happen in, in any sport. Uh, or any baseball level anywhere. You just don't do that. Um, So he was not in play, maybe to come out of the bullpen, but definitely not to come out as a starter. Uh, It was going to be Tyone on Monday night, and then I'm not sure what they were planning, I guess, on Wednesday. And then it would have been Cortez game one, which I'm sure they would have rathered that, I think. And I know that it sounds crazy to say that because I think in the same breath, the Yankees had an advantage today by having Nestor Cortez out there rather than Tyone, um, just off of the sheer fact that Cortez is the better pitcher. Um, Now, the reason I say I think the Yankees would rather that Tyone pitch game five and Cortez pitch game one of the ALCS is the fact that now since Nestor pitched here today on a Tuesday, um, the next time he'll be available on full rest um, will be on Saturday, next Saturday. So the Yankees have two options here. Garrett, Garrett Cole, excuse me. Garrett Cole pitched on Sunday, 110 pitches. So you can put him on one day rest and you can pitch him game two, and then on Saturday, you can pitch Nestor on full rest for game three. Um, And that all kind of works out, except for the fact that then Severino is game four and Sunday, next Sunday, excuse me, in New York, after the last time he has pitched was this Sunday. Now, the Yankees have shown, um, I don't want to say their hand in terms of being cautious with Severino, but he did spend two months on the IL um, with an injury that he said would not have, you know, taken him that long to be out for. So I'm interested to see if they will start him on game two on short rest or excuse me, on regular rest or whether they push him all the way to Sunday um, just to kind of, first of all, have Garrett Cole pitch, as early in the series as possible, A. B, um, to get Nestor on regular rest, because this is kind of the way that I have it for right now, which is JMO game one in Houston, which is Wednesday night. Severino, Houston in game two um, on Thursday, and then there will be an off day Friday, and then the next Five days will be five games, should it go into seven games. Uh, It'll be Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for games three through five in New York. 
games six and seven back in Houston on Tuesday and Wednesday. So I have it as Tyone, game one, Houston, Wednesday. Game two, Severino in Houston on Thursday. Game three in New York on Saturday, Garrett Cole. Um, Game four in New York on Sunday, Nestor Cortez. Game five in New York on Monday, Tyone again, full rest. Um, Tuesday could be Severino. That would be on full rest in Houston on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, um, you would have Garrett Cole on short rest. So that's kind of how I have it projected for now. We'll see, like I said, if they want to move Cole up on short rest in game two, move Nestor up from four to three, and then bump Severino down to four. But it doesn't really do much um, outside of the fact that you give Garrett Cole the short rest earlier in the series and put him on full rest later in the series. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to decide how they want to deal with that, to be completely honest with you. But I would say that if you're a Yankee fan, this is something that you've looked forward to, and I know I've looked forward to it, and I know you know a lot of my friends who are, are big Yankee fans like I am have looked forward to playing this team in the playoffs for the last couple of years, and I can only imagine what it would feel like um, to be in this clubhouse right now, knowing that the last two times you've played this team at least once they had, um, you know, an upper hand, uh, an, uh, an advantage that they should not have had with a cheating system that gave them signs electronically. Um, and if, if, if anyone that really follows MLB believes that Houston just stopped cheating after 2017, uh, despite that it was not national news until 2019, it's just uh, naive to be completely frank with you i i think to believe that listen behind closed doors mlb already had known about it since you know early on and when mike fires the whistleblower finally made this public knowledge um they had to deal with it but do you think behind closed doors that as they're getting told to stop stuff but not getting penalized for it that they're actually going to stop no now it obviously does call into question the fact uh, of whether that they were the only team doing something like that. But if you're a Yankee fan, you've seen, you know, an, an exciting 2017 team that you didn't see coming um, out of out of anywhere, really, uh, with a bunch of young players, including a rookie Aaron Judge, you know, a second year Gary Sanchez, as crazy as it is to say that name at this point for the Yankees. Um, but like this was a good team. Like I said, that people didn't expect to go to the playoffs at all. They end up in the ALCS with a 3-2 lead going back to Houston, and they couldn't get it done. Um, and then you find out, you know, a couple of years later that, that they had a, a cheating system. And then 2019, which, once again, I feel like Houston still was cheating at this point, but not confirmed by any sources, um, only by the fact that, when Jose Altuve hit the walk-off home run to send the Yankees home that year, that 
it just looks suspicious with the whole Jersey thing. So um, this is something, like I said, that if you're a fan, you've been looking forward to for three years. Um, and if you are a player, like I can only imagine what that flight right now feels like. Like, first of all, you're down 2-1 to the Guardians. You have to feel like they're an inferior opponent. You were one strike away from going up 2-1 in the series. Instead, you're down 2-1. So you have to play two games and at the time scheduled to be back-to-back in two different cities. Um, and it would have been four in a row had the game been played Monday. Uh, and it, it's just it's just tough. It's tough to be like, you know what? Here we are after a crazy series where there was a bunch of rain and, and things didn't go the way that they were planned. And then, you know, we made it close. Let's be honest. The Yankees made it a little bit closer than it should have been. Um, and now we're on a flight headed to Houston. We had, you know, uh, about one hour to celebrate in the clubhouse while all these other teams had a wild celebration to, to celebrate getting into the CS, the Yankees had about 35 minutes in their clubhouse and on the field at Yankee Stadium before they had to ship over to whatever um, airport they're using, get on a flight, you play the next day. You know, they had Tyone, who was scheduled to pitch Monday against the Guardians, who was probably preparing all week to pitch against the Guardians at some point as a starting pitcher. Um, then. He gets his start canceled Monday. They decide to go with Cortez today. So now Tyone is not even worried with the Guardians anymore. You know, they interviewed him after the game. He was studying Astros the whole time. So I'm excited because, like I said, I think, especially given the fact that Aaron Judge is one of the few layovers from 2017, um, that, that experienced this now twice against this team, that these guys are fired up to try to win just alone for, for him, but for themselves. You know, they weren't chosen the Yankees as, as a team that would contend for anything this year. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I believe their win total was set at 91, and I predicted them as a 95 win team they finished the season with 99 wins um and it's now they get to face the team that has prevented them from going the world's to the world series twice um and both times at least once um with an unfair advantage so it's going to be an exciting week it could be a sad week should the baseball season end in New York. Um, but I'm just excited. I'm excited for Jameson Tyone. Um, I didn't know this, but, you know, Meredith was Meredith Morakovitz, the Yes Network uh, field reporter, was interviewing Tyone in the clubhouse after the game. And it turns out that he ended up living in Houston for a while and actually went to the Woodlands High School, which uh, seems like it is a suburb of Houston, a little bit north of Houston. So he said that he grew up going to games at Minute Maid Park, and and based on his age, like some of those Astros teams had had some good players on it. Um, you know, Jeff Biggio, uh, Bagwell. So 
I'm excited for these guys. I'm excited, you know, that they that they took care of business in front of their fans today in New York. Um, you know, Nestor Cortez goes out and throws five innings of shutdown ball, uh, you know, on one day short rest after he comes into the season questioning whether he'd be in the starting rotation. Um, and then, you know, there was a, there were stories going on throughout the year that, and it seemed at first that it was evident that the Yankees were trying to not let the inning totals run up on this guy. Cause before this season, he had only pitched 85 innings in a season. Um, that was his career high in innings. And now he basically doubled that this year. I think it was up to 156 and he threw 10 or 11 innings now in the playoffs. So um, Nestor goes out there and gets it done for five innings. Uh, Aaron Savali, like I said, with the guardians pitching um, strategy, I didn't, didn't agree with it for Tuesday for Monday, you know, the, the way that the the schedule was shaping out, um, I, I mean, I guess they always had a plan for Savali to start Monday because if Tuesday, if game two was played on Thursday instead of Friday, he still would have been on one sh- day short rest had game five been played Monday and not Tuesday. I know that there's a lot of moving parts here, and I'm sorry. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a little surprised because just uh, Justin Bieber, I'm pulling a Bob Casas because Shane Bieber was not an option um, to come as a short rest starter or out of the pen. It seemed based on what Terry Francona said, um, and I know that he's coming off of injury, but Nestor Cortez has never pitched this many innings before, and the Yankees had trust for him to do it. And I think that that is a huge movement forward for Aaron Boone in terms of like not overthinking things. You know, you have your best in terms of statistics, your best pitcher available on one day short rest. He has been your best pitcher all year. Um, and he has economically got outs all year and he did it again today. You hand the ball over to Loizaga. He did give up two base runners early, but both of them were on soft contact. Um, and then ended up pitching two innings, I believe, of, of scoreless baseball. Clay Holmes comes in the eighth. He looks like a closer again. Wandy Peralta looks like your closer in the playoffs. Um, I think outside of the fact that should there be an inning, you know, in the middle innings or late innings, but not the ninth where Jordan Alvarez is um, – do up in that inning, I think that Wandy Peralta will get those specifically. And I think that's almost a bigger role in this series than being the closer. Like, all right, here comes Wandy Peralta, our ground ball pitcher, left-hander to face your big left-hander that wants to hit the ball in the air. That could be the biggest matchup that if you win that matchup late in the games and it's and he knows Wandy's coming in and Wandy knows he's coming in to face him and he gets it done, um, first of all, I think that just will add to the, I don't want to say legacy of Wandy Peralta because he's only been here really two seasons, but 
I think at this point, like, if you haven't been paying attention to what Wandy has done all season, then you, and you're just finding out about him now, like you're a fake fan. But I've been paying attention the entire time. And actually, the reason why I started paying attention in the first place, which I should have been, you know, last year he was really good. But this year it was going to a game and he actually came in in the 11th inning. It was still in the early part of the year. It was actually at the Baltimore game I was at in May where Trevino walked off with the double and pointed to the sky and on on a very nice moment of the season. Wandy Peralta came in that game in the 11th and it was his music at first that really got me paying attention to what this guy was doing on the mound. He comes out to Aguanile, a song by Mark Anthony and it's Spanish, but it's basically a song that is, um, talking about getting rid of bad spirits before it's like basically he's blessing the mound before he goes on the mound, um, which is crazy and blessing his, his spirit before he goes on the mound as well. And he shut down that inning and the Yankees end up walking it off. Like I said, Clay home. Uh, and then, you know, to add context to this Clay Holmes goes, you know, haywire. He, he loses his fastball. He can't throw strikes. And then he goes on the IL. And in the middle of June or July, I forget when Michael King breaks his elbow, but Michael King was the automatic eighth inning guy. And honestly, you know, I heard Sweeney Murdy, the pregame host on WFAN before he hands it over to Susan Waldman for the pregame show. Um, He was saying that, you know, and he's right. The Yankees are probably not in this spot without the first half of Clay Holmes and Michael King's contributions as well. Cause there was a point where those two innings were automatic. I mean, automatic. And um, at this point, that's what you're getting from Wandy Peralta. So, you know, there was a quote from Severino talking about how he was confused as to why Holmes wasn't used in game three. Cause he's our closer. I think that, if Jordan Alvarez was not a person and you don't have to worry about like, okay, the best hitter on the team by far, the one that can hurt you the most is a big left-hander. And we have a lefty that can keep the ball on the ground. I think if that wasn't the case, Wandy Peralta is your closer for the rest of the playoffs. Um, But I think especially after he was used in all five games and has shown that he's up for any task that Aaron Boone can throw him. I think, He's going into that flight and Aaron Boone's calling him over and being like, listen, 44, that's your responsibility. You're going to get him out in the late innings, no matter what. And that's going to be your job. Like you're going to face the three batters. Um, You know, he'll be one of them, obviously, but you're going to face the three batters that surround the Alvarez at bat in that inning. And if he ends up going two innings, you know, we saw it in game three uh, that he almost went two and a third or two and two thirds to close that one out. Obviously lost a little bit of steam, but um, I think that uh, he'll be responsible for that Jordan inning. If he gets through that economically, maybe they leave him out there for another. Um, But I think that will be his role. Ron Marinaccio is supposed to come back. So that's good. because then that's just another inning that the Yankee starters don't have to really worry about. 
especially when you're considering the fact that Tyone will be one of those starters in at least one game, but probably two based on that. He's the game one starter. Um, and it's just good. You know, they didn't use Miggy Castro or Lucas Licky. I expect at least those guys to pitch in two of these seven games. Should it go seven? I just don't think that you can go to the, to the well of Loisaga and Holmes every single game. Um, and I, you know, even though Wandy did it, I don't think, especially with five games in five days after the travel between Houston and New York, I don't imagine that Wandy will be able to go five in a row. So um, uh, I'm excited to see how the pitchers hold up. They had, you know, a great start from Garrett Cole in game one. A great start from Nestor in game two, despite, you know, he, he went out in the sixth inning, but that's okay. Um, in game three, I thought Severino pitched really well. In game four and five, obviously, you know what happened. Garrett Cole was the ace. Nestor Cortez was ace junior. And we just, and we end up in, in a series that we've been, we've been hoping to have for a couple of years. Um, It'll be Justin Verlander in game one. I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but um, he didn't look too hot against the Mariners, and he has a six ERA in the last five games of his playoff career. He did have a two ERA this season. So, you know, in a game that frequently reverts back to the mean, I guess you'd have to figure that tomorrow he, he comes out and finds it, especially being home. But... I like the fact that Tyone is from Houston um, and is going to get a, a chance to pitch at home in game one of a series that means a lot to the guys in the clubhouse. Uh, it means a lot to them for multiple reasons. One of them, you know, Judge was there in 2017. Severino was there in 2017. You know, the fans, I think they, they know, they know how much the fans care. I, so I think that's a big part of it. And then just if you take away the whole Houston part, uh, the World Series, like that's something that they've dreamt about their whole life, that now they're one series away from getting to experience. And, and they, I know Aaron Judge said it today. Uh, they've got plans. Like they don't – they didn't just come this far to get to Houston and, and you know, they want to win to get to the World Series and just be happy that they made the World Series like that. They want to be the champions this year. So it's just an added bonus that it's against this team and that it seemed like this was going to be the um, the matchup for, for a couple months now, and and we get it. Um, I'm really, really excited, man. Um, the NLCS started tonight right after game five, and the Phillies took – a one nothing lead in San Diego, um, two solo home runs, a high fly ball that finds the first row in left field for off the bat of Bryce Harper in the fourth off of you Darvish. And then later, I believe in the sixth inning, Kyle Schwarber hit a 121 mile an hour home run that traveled 488 feet. Um, and just for the context of, of those two numbers, um, 
488 is easily the longest home run of this postseason because I don't think there's been one that's really like too much deeper than a Harrison Bader 420 foot home run. Um, I the hardest balls that have been hit ever in major league history since at least since they've been tracking exit velocities and stuff like that in 2008. Um, that was the hardest hit ball that didn't take place in a, in a juice ball era. So what that means is the other balls that were hit that hard, all of them off of the bat of John Carlos Stan and Aaron judge, they were hit in years where the ball traveled further and there was less, you know, uh, the ball was different, so it could produce different exit velocities, different, you know, exit launch, not launches, but different. It, it would travel further. There's less friction of the ball in the air. And um, Kyle Schwarber hit basically the hardest ball ever recorded tonight. And the Phillies have a one nothing lead in that series. Um, personally, I don't care as a Yankee fan who wins that series. Like, Whoever it's going to be, it's going to be a great series. Should it be us and them? Should it be Houston and whoever comes out of the National League? That'll be a great series as well. Um, and I just think that there's no like, oh, well, this team's better and this team's worse. Like the Phillies have been a great story since they fired Joe Girardi in the middle of the year. Um, clearly those two guys, Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber, have been big stories. Kyle Schwarber was the National League home run leader. Bryce Harper was, um, you know, when Bryce Harper went out, the way that they were talking about the Philly season was like, well, if they can't hold the fourth down while he's out, it's over. Because if when, you know, when he's out and they lose, there's no coming back from that. And they they did a lot of good. They had a lot of good baseball played in the time that Bryce Harper was out. And then when Bryce came back, obviously that makes the team a lot different. Um and so those two guys, along with a good pitching rotation and just, you know, a coach that has made this team buy in, has um, found themselves with a one nothing lead in the NLCS. And on the other side, I mean, the Padres added Juan Soto. They have Manny Machado. Their rotation's really good. Tomorrow it'll be Blake Snell. And... Um, It'll be Blake Snell for the Padres, and it'll be Aaron Nola for the Phillies. Um, I think that that's another great matchup. I think if that matchup was happening in Philly, um, the Phillies automatically have that win because Blake Snell is just a different pitcher on the road, especially in the playoffs. Um, and and But it's at home, so Blake Snell has a big job to do tomorrow. Don't want to go into Philly with a 2-0 deficit. Um, and like I said, as a Yankee fan, I'll be paying attention a little bit, not because I want to see, like, you know, scouting or anything like that, just because I'm a big baseball fan. And, you know, I'm hoping that it'll be my team playing in the last games of the season against the winner of this series. So the Yankees will go to Houston. They will face... Justin Verlander in game one with Tyone on the mound. And I guess the only other thing to talk about with the Yankees is what the plans should be for the ALCS roster. Because we saw 
IKF pretty much get benched um, in, in games four and five. In game four, the Yankees made no substitutions, but in game five, Aaron Hicks got hurt. And, you know, you would think that with Aaron Hicks going out with injury, you just move Cabrera from left uh, from shortstop to left field and you put in your starting shortstop IKF who's been there the whole season but that's not what happened they put in Marwin Gonzalez in left field and they kept Cabrera there eventually IKF did come in the game because Matt Carpenter pinch hit for Marwin in game five um but I'm intrigued to see Aaron Hicks is going to be out for the whole season now it's a six-week injury. Obviously, the season will end before that six-week time period is up. Um, and so the Yankees have some decisions to make. It doesn't sound like Ben Benintendi is healthy enough to be on this ALCS roster at all. It does sound like DJ LeMahieu is. So we'll see, you know, do they bench Donaldson? I don't think so. Um, you know, I would not I, – I, I think – there's this idea of DJ LeMahieu as being like, all right, well, in that one 2021 season, or no, in that one 2019 season, DJ LeMahieu is like the best hitter in the American League in terms of average, but he hasn't done that now in three years. Um, and his numbers in terms of being at the plate this year, as awful as it's going to sound, have been pretty similar to Josh Donaldson's. Like Donaldson has not looked as good at the plate as LeMahieu does, even when he's not necessarily getting those numbers. Um, but at the same time, DJ has been injured for so much of the last couple of years and played through it some of the time that maybe it's tough to judge. So I think that if LeMahieu is on the roster and it, he made it sound like he'd be on it before the game, you know, should they win? Like, I'm feeling good. I, I'm feeling like I could be ready. I think they'll use them as a bench bat. I don't envision them pulling out Donaldson, but I would be fine either way with whoever they decide. Um, shortstop, you know, the question becomes like, all right, well, Benintendi's not coming back. So Cabrera is your starting left fielder. And you just benched IKF for Cabrera moving from left field to short and put out Aaron Hicks, who was having a brutal season in, in the outfield. He was a little bit injured going into the series with the calf stuff from the regular season. You could tell on a couple of those balls where he came in that he just wasn't really moving well and then goes out with a knee injury. So who really knows what was going on there the whole time anyway, but, does that mean that they have no faith in IKF anymore? Finally. And you put Peraza out there, which, I mean, Peraza only has 45 career at-bats. Do you I, – I, I don't know where you go from here. I know that they have to put out a lineup at about 4.30 tomorrow, so we'll find out a lot more then. And that they have to put out the roster, I think, in the morning. Um, so I expect DJ to be out there. At least on the bench, I expect Peraza to be. I mean, they have to replace Hicks's spot with one person. So you have to figure DJ pops in there for one. 
And then I don't know, like they had Tim LaCastro and Marwin on the roster. Marwin clearly not being used as an infield option, only as an outfield option. And that was the only time he got into the series was right there in game five for one for two innings, one at bat. Um, I, I just would rather see Peraza. I think that's what we need more. Like, Lacastro can be your backup outfielder. Um, and, you know, Michael Kay as well was talking about the potential of Giancarlo Stanton being in the field. I'm not sure that I'm on board with it as much as they were. You know, they were pretty fired up because that meant that if Stanton's not the DH, then you can either DH LeMahieu or Carpenter, and then you can um, end up with, you know, just your best lineup out there. And I, I'm not as I'm not as excited about it, and I'll tell you why. First of all, Stanton played four games in left field the entire season. And last year, when they put him out there in left field, after there was all that talk about how Stan didn't play the field and it would make the lineup a lot deeper if he could. I mean, he went out in left field and he was okay, but it's very clear he's a natural right fielder. And it's just a lot easier for him to be out there. Like, why would I want, who is your best hitter in the playoffs. I know that Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs in the regular season, but and it's not even me saying, oh, well, Aaron Judge isn't that good in the playoffs. No. Giancarlo Stanton is just a beast in the playoffs and is your best hitter in the playoffs by far, according to the numbers. Um, why would I want to put him in left field with the, as unfortunate as it is, the risk of him being injured and then him not being in the lineup at all. I don't think it's worth the risk. I I really like both Matt Carpenter and DJ, and I think it would be awesome to see them play a bigger role than just being on the bench. But at the same time, are we going to really risk our, our top two hitter on our team and our best hitter in terms of playoff baseball? Um, are we going to risk him being out for the rest of the year just because we can put Matt Carpenter or DJ in the lineup um, and then move Cabrera to shortstop and take IKF out? Like, I don't know if it's that much worth it. So we'll see what happens there. Um, we'll see, you know, I guess the only other thing really to talk about with the Yankees is the fact that there were still people like booing Aaron Judge from earlier in the series. He did end up with 11 strikeouts in the ALDS. And I know that that's, you know, it's not ideal. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, it's fine. Like we won the series. But I don't think people understand. Like Aaron Judge went in to the last two weeks needing, um, you know, one home run to tie Roger Maris and two to pass him. And it took him a while. And clearly during that time, he pressed a little bit 
his swing got a little bit messed up. Like it seemed like he was opening up a little bit more in his stance and he was trying to pull everything. And then, you know, it didn't look good in the first two games. And then in game three, hit a ball to the track, hit a home run. Um, game four, we didn't need much. Um, and in game five, excuse me, he goes two for four with a home run and a ball back up the middle. So, like, I'm not worried about him at all. It was good to see another good day of, of at-bats there. The ball left the yard, and now he has a short porch in left field in Houston to try to, to snipe some home runs there um, and try to come back to New York with a, uh, with a, a lead or at least a split. Um, I know that I haven't really laid out a structure for this episode and I've just kind of been blurting shit out as I've thought of it. And that's because I just hit play on the, on the episode and really didn't think about what I was, you know, looking to talk about. So I'm going to end on two final points, which is the Josh Naylor stuff. And then um, just kind of my, my thoughts going into this series, how it's changed from, in the middle of the season. Um, and I guess a prediction. So Josh Naylor hits a home run off of Garrett Cole and rocks the baby in game four. And I, you know, I recorded obviously after this all happened, but I didn't really mention it much. Um, the Yankees end up giving up one more run the entire series after that. And I don't think it's really like, I don't think he necessarily made them pitch better by any means, but like, I think he did give this team like something to really, I hate to say bulletin board material, especially, especially because the series is now over, but I think the energy that he gave, I mean, you saw Glaber Torres in the last out of the, of the, the game tonight rock the baby and kind of look on the, on the guardians dugout, looking to see where he was. Um, I just think to give a team that type of energy that like, you know, like I was mentioning earlier in the episode, the goal every year is to win the world series. But then you add in the fact that the Astros have taken a chance to go to the world series away from the Yankees in two seasons and at least one of them, they cheated it. And then you give them the energy of being the underdog because they had such a bad second half. And then you give them the energy of whatever that was from Josh Naylor. I just think going into Houston, like, listen, in 2017, like I was saying, you didn't know exactly what the Yankees were at that point. The Astros were the better team. Um, and so like losing that series, like, even though they cheated, like I said, there was no like, oh, well that sucked. Like, it was just like, wow, I can't believe we made one. We were one game away from the world series. Like that is crazy. I can't believe that we had a lead three, two, and we were that close to the world series. Um, and then I think like in 2019, you go into Houston and the thought is like, holy crap, 
Like, there's no way we could beat these guys because we know there's four games in Houston. We can't win there. We didn't win there in 2017, and we're not going to win there in 2019. Like, we can't win a game in that building. And so I think that, A, out of the three times that we've played this team now, this is the best team that we've had. I think in 2019, like looking back at some of the guys who started in that series, like James Paxton started in that series for the New York Yankees in the ALCS. And he's not good. He was maybe good then, but he's not better than any of the four pitchers we're going to put out there in this series. The bullpen, listen, the bullpen in both of those years were really good, but this bullpen just found they had an identity all year, but now they're finding it again. Holmes looks like he's back. Loisaga, he came back in the late parts of the regular season and started to look really good and has been good in the playoffs. Peralta, same thing. He was injured and didn't even finish the season on the roster and finished and obviously started out on the ALDS roster and did really good. Um, and then Ron Marinaccio was the guy in the regular season at the end of the year who was the guy. He was the best one out there, and then he got injured. So they're all coming back together now. The rotation is good, but I think in terms of like the energy that the team has going into the, the series, this is the best out of the three years because I think they're going into this thinking like, Not, oh, we have a great chance to beat them. There is no chance or hopefully or any of that. Like, they're going there thinking this ends now. Like, you guys have been the team to take it away from us two seasons out of the last six. Not this time. Like, we are coming here. Game one, we have a hometown kid pitching in Houston. I think if they go out tomorrow night and they win that game, they're not going back to Houston. Straight up. If they win one game in Houston, they're not going back to Houston. What I mean by that is they'll win in five games or less if they win tomorrow night. It is the biggest game that we've had as a Yankee fan in three seasons. I can't be more fired up for tomorrow. Like, I wish it was already here. I, I can't wait to be angry as the game starts because I hate them so much and I don't want, you know, I, 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 I respect Justin Verlander as a pitcher, but I hope that he gets tatted up tomorrow. I hope we're all over him. And like I said, if they can win, especially game one, you know, then you kind of look at the way it shakes out for the Yankees, like, Game two is going to be Severino and whatever. If you win game one and you go to Yankee Stadium in a 1-1 tie, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Cole, Cortez, and then, and then J-Mo on full rest. I mean, holy crap, man. I feel like we've got them. I feel like this is our year. I, and I know because you guys were hearing me being negative for months in July and when I came on and picked the pre, you know, before the playoffs, my prediction, I said that I, I had the Astros still. And, you know, I, 
I did preface it by saying I really didn't want to pick it at all, but I'm just going to stick with, you know, the, the non-biased pick. But the Yankees, like I said, there's, it, just, it just feels like there's something special about this team that, that doesn't have anything to do with the X's and O's of baseball and what happens between the chalk lines. I think it all has to do with whatever the camaraderie is on the team and how the guys rallied around Aaron Judge when, when the whole contract thing was at the beginning of the year and how good they were and then how bad they were and everybody was hurt and everybody came back. I, man, oh, man, I just think tomorrow night, if you win that game one, whatever happens in game two, fine. I think you could come into, into New York and sweep their ass and go to the World Series in five games, and nothing would light up a city more than that. Um, this team, the, Yankee, uh, the Yankees and the Yankee fans have wanted them for a while. You know, any time that they've come to New York um, since, since fans got back into the stadiums, um, they have heard it, and I've been there for some of that. Um, and even in the, you know, in 2019, before it was even announced, um, I was at a, a series, a four game series. I think I went to two out of the four games with Houston. I mean, they didn't like Houston then. They didn't like Houston just from that one 2017 um, loss and, and, and judge losing the MVP to Altuve that year. They didn't like them then. And then they found out everything else that happened and 2019's loss happened. Uh, the fans are fired up for this one. There's no other way to, to put it. Um, I think the guys are ready to rock. I think, I think the fact that they have added motivation to play in this series is big. I'm not saying that the, the Astros don't want to win or don't want to win against us. Um, but I just think it means a lot more to the Yankees like than than it does to the Astros and in the fact that they they cheated and it's simple as that. Um so I guess that's all about baseball. Like I said, it's gonna be uh let's see, it's eleven fifty-seven on Tuesday, October eighteenth, right now. So that means in about nineteen and a half hours. Um, I'll be strapped in to my seat, wherever that seat may be. Not sure yet, but I'll be strapped in. Um, and like I said, I think the key to the game is game one, going out, getting a win. Um, and then mainly just not, you know, you don't want to make a mistake to any of these hitters. Like it's, I know I keep saying like, don't let, Jordan Alvarez beat you. He's the only guy that can beat you. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think he is the scariest hitter and the best hitter, but it's not like Altuve, Bregman, Gurriel, Pena, uh, Tucker. And it's not like these guys are, are Joe Schmoes up there. You know, they're, they're a good team overall. There's a reason they won 106 games, but even in a three game series, like they, had a tougher series. I know it's not to say they had a tougher series in three games than we did in five. They had a walk-off three-run home run while they were down two with two outs in the ninth in game one. You have to figure that if somehow that doesn't happen, and I know it's like 
wild to be like, well, if that doesn't happen, then this. But let's just say they lose game one. Like, I'd say that there's a chance you're playing Seattle right now because Houston thought that they were just going to roll over on, on Seattle. And Seattle, that didn't really happen. Like, they were one out away. And then in game two, Alvarez had to hit a go-ahead home run in the late innings there too. And in game three, it was a one nothing 18-inning game. So it was a lot closer than the Yankees, who beat them in game one. In game two, you lose an extra innings. In game three, you get walked off on, on the last pitch of the game. You win game four, you win game five. Like They dominated a lot more of the series against Cleveland than Houston did. So I think the vibes for the Yankees are up. I think they're playing better than the Astros did so far in the playoffs. Um, and we'll kind of see, we'll see where it goes from here. Um, I don't think I'll record until a normal episode on, um, on Sunday. You know, I, I kind of have been liking the system of like reacting to the football to the football week, and for the most part, it has been Jets and Giants, like, you know, rah-rah, they're winning. Holy crap, this is euphoric. And hopefully that keeps the same, the same story here for the next couple of weeks because the Giants have an easy schedule, and I'm a Jets fan, so I'm hoping that both teams keep winning. I don't want to see the Giants, you know, start out 5-1 and one and then lose to the Texans, the Lions, and the Seahawks. That would be awful. I don't wish that upon you guys. Um, And I don't want the Jets to lose because I'm a Jets fan. So I obviously want them to win. Um, So I like the format of what's been going on there. Recapping my shitty picks. Talking about the week of NFL. And we'll hope, you know, I said on the last episode, I hope that I'll have some sort of basketball or or hockey coverage for you guys. I think it's going to be basketball. Like, I kind of watched the first couple of of minutes there of the Lakers and the Warriors, and I'll probably catch more of that while I'm in post-prod here. Um, But I'm a little, I don't know, maybe it's just because I saw the game on TV where I was like, oh, I I can cover this. Like, if I just watch the games and really, you know, and there's a lot of games in the NBA, and and it'll be be fine, though. I I can cover it, I think. I will say that, first of all, the biggest story in the NBA right now is the fact that Draymond Green slapped the shit out of uh, Jordan Poole, and and I don't want to say slapped. He punched him in the face and dropped him, and that's the biggest story in the NBA, and they're the, the defending champs. Um, I don't know much about like these other teams, but I have to figure that they just can't win again like that. Like uh, Steph Curry, obviously a top two or three player in the NBA right now. I mean, I'd only really be comfortable putting Giannis in front of him. And I know like I'm the big LeBron guy of being like LeBron's the best player in the NBA. I can now put that one down like maybe in 2020 and 2019 when he won the championship, like, yeah, that, there's an argument for that. 
I don't think there is anymore. And I, I really love the guy and I'll watch the Lakers more, more than I'll watch, you know, any of these other teams really throughout the year. Um, but I, I just have a rough time thinking like clay has played 32 games in three seasons and the playoffs last year. So I guess a little bit more than 32, um, you know, Draymond's a little older. Steph seems the same speed, so not really worried about that. But and then when a season starts with that, it's just like, all right, well, how are they gonna not have a disaster in the locker room this year? So we'll see what happens with them. Shaq picked his champion as the Nuggets with Jamal Murray coming back. I kind of like that. I mean, the last time we saw Jamal Murray and the and the Joker together, they if I'm not mistaken, they made the conference finals against the Lakers in the bubble. And maybe they didn't, but either way, they were really good in the bubble. So I I think Jamal Murray's a really good player. Um, and the Joker is an MVP candidate every season and is really good. Um, he can go get 30 any night he wants. He is really good in terms of creating good offensive opportunities, whether it be as a passer, um, you know, you don't really see a lot of guys that know how to move without the ball in the NBA anymore. He is one of them. So that's good. And I think, and maybe I'm making a bad, uh, maybe this isn't that smart in terms of basketball, but I feel like Anthony Davis could really learn a lot by watching Jokic's tape and trying to play more like him. Like Anthony Davis is more athletic than Nikola Jokic by a lot, but Anthony Davis tries to play like behind the three point line, catch the ball at the three, take 15 footers. Like Anthony Davis doesn't have to do any of that. It does make him better when he is doing that at a good clip and like, but I think by trying to play out there and dribble the ball, like you're just asking to get hurt. Like you've missed so much time. Try to play like a center. No one can guard you from 12 feet and in with your back to the basket. Cause you can shoot over everyone. You can back them down. And it does look like he's in a little bit of bad shape. I know it's the first night of the year, but he looked a little pudgy in my opinion. Um, so all of that was to say that Shaq picked the Nuggets and they, the other guys all picked the Clippers. I think the Clippers are going to be hurt again this year, just like they've been for the last couple. Like Kawhi Leonard can't stay on the court. Paul George can't stay on the court. If those are your best two players and they're having a tough time staying healthy, then that's a tough team to pick. Now you're going to say, but you're a, a Lakers. Well, I'm not a Lakers fan, but you're a LeBron fan. So how are you going to even say that? I didn't pick the Lakers to win either, and I probably won't because, like I said, I don't have LeBron as the best player in the league anymore. Russell Westbrook plays basketball like he's a running back. Anthony Davis can't stay on the court. If he can, that's a different story, but that's been remained to be seen for a couple of seasons now. Um, And that would kind of just... Uh, you know, the Celtics were really good last year. They made the playoffs. I think the Bucks are probably a good choice. 
Um, so we'll see. I'm not going to pick a winner on, on this one because, like I said, I haven't looked into it enough. But in terms of, like, the X's and O's, I did feel like just by watching those couple of first minutes a little bit more confident in my basketball takes going forward. So you can expect me to be covering the season a little bit and however I'm going to do that. Not sure. I am looking a lot more forward to the basketball season on the college side than the NBA side. Um, My North Carolina Tar Heels are the AP number one team in the preseason ranking. So I'm excited about that. Um, After first time head coach Hubert Davis brings the team to the final game of the season in New Orleans last year has a 15 point lead on Kansas and unfortunately loses to Kansas by a score of 70 to 67 I believe it was um and so the you know he really set a high expectation for himself going forward but I think you know four out of the five starters came back I think they're not not they're not number one for no reason so I'm excited to cover that season and and watch those games a little bit more but you'll be hearing from me about basketball going forward uh you know we'll stay with the whole football um recaps on on Sunday going into Monday so maybe you'll start seeing two episodes a week not really sure we're just going to kind of finish up on the once a week and then on the by demand for the Yankees and today was by demand because the Yankees are moving on once again to the ALCS with a massive matchup against the Houston Astros. I can't wait. You guys will hear from me again next Sunday. It will be a mid-series um, review of, of you know whatever I can tell you or think about of the Phillies and the Padres. Once again, I'm not going to pick a winner there either. I think if you asked me to pick a winner before the series started, I probably would have said the Padres. Um, but as I was mentioning earlier in the episode, there's no advantage to face either of those teams. Like they're both going to be in the World Series for a reason. They're both really good teams. They're both going to be tough to win four games out of seven against whoever it is. So you will hear from me at some point between Sunday and Monday a mid-series review, my thoughts going forward. Um, You know, Jets and Giants will hopefully keep it rolling next week. Giants go into Jacksonville. Jets going to Denver to ride with the Broncos country. Um, And I believe that is an episode, folks. Go be great. Um, And go Yankees, folks. Have a good night.